Welcome to the football show with James Scametta. Thank you for getting involved. Today on the show, we're going to break down every single game that we saw Sunday, Monday, Thursday, everything. We're going to unveil the new power rankings. So this will be the third version of the power rankings. They are very fluid. They can change at any time, and they certainly will change. We will have a new number one uh, come today. So we're going to jump right into this thing so I can go get a haircut. My hair is officially out of control. Uh, I hate it, and I cannot wait to get a haircut. So first, before anything else, there is news regarding the Tennessee Titans. So let me pull this story up. But the Titans have a COVID situation here. And uh, let's see. I'm trying to type while, while doing my job. Titans, yeah, so the COVID situation. Okay. So the Titans have eight positive coronavirus tests among players and staff. I believe it's three players. I believe it's three players and five staff. Now, this was something that people were obviously worried about coming into the season and something that no one really knew how the hell this would work out. Right. So let's read some of the story here. Uh, faces first outbreak of the coronavirus on a team during the 2020 season when the Tennessee Titans shut down in-person activities Tuesday after receiving eight confirmed tests. The Vikings, who played the Titans on Sunday, also suspended in-person team activities, including practices and face-to-face meetings, at least temporarily. The NFL initially was proceeding Tuesday as if this weekend's game involving the Titans and Vikings will be played as scheduled, pending further testing results, but cancellations or postponements seemingly remained possible. I had three positive tests among players, yeah, and five among staff. Uh, So that's pretty much about it. The Vikings said that as of Tuesday morning, they had received no positive tests since Sunday's game against the Titans. The Vikings said in a statement they would work closely with the NFL. So, So the Titans are supposed to play the Steelers this Sunday. The Vikings are supposed to be on the road to face the Texans. So what do we do, right? What what. What do we want them to do? What, how, do we, how do we want this played out? And I thought about this earlier. And obviously before the season, this was something where it's like, what do you do? Is, is, will this, could this domino effect and completely ruin the season? I think that we can scale it back a little bit from completely ruining the season. And I think right now the move is, all right, in my in my opinion, and this might be looking a little close sighted, but my opinion, the biggest question mark is the competitive advantage that you can give the teams playing the Vikings and the Titans. And what I mean by that is, if you shut down these teams, and you shut down the Titans, and you shut down the Vikings for let's just say three days, and then you say, "All right, we, we're going to have the games," how big of an advantage is that for the Steelers and the Texans? that they get the Titans and the Vikings with three less days to do anything. I mean, they, like they said, they they're cutting down in-person meetings. They're cutting down practice. They're cutting, going to the facilities. So these guys can't meet with their coaches. They can't watch game tape. They can't do any of that stuff. Now, yes, you can do it with zoom or other ways or whatever, but IMO, even though that obviously player safety and all that stuff is way more important. If you are going to have a season, you cannot just say, yeah, man, uh, go play the Steelers, even though the Steelers have had four days of preparation and you haven't. You know, like that, that's, that is, 
competitively, that is such a disadvantage or an advantage, depending on which team you are. So I don't know the domino effect of everything as far as what happens if you replace their bye weeks. You know, could you just switch the bye weeks around where now they're on a bye week and, you know, whenever their scheduled bye week was is now not a bye week? I mean, I, there's so it's like a Sudoku puzzle. And so those things, to try and decide those things on five days' notice, I mean, they said they the tests were Tuesday. Yeah, so they shut down in-person activities Tuesday. So we're filming this on a Wednesday, right? Is today Wednesday? Today is Tuesday. <laughs> oh, coronavirus quarantine, how you do it like that. So it's happening right now, right? So from right now until... Like Thursday, they got to figure something out because you can't you can't make this decision on Saturday. Teams have to travel, teams have to do all that stuff. So you have to decide like within the next forty eight hours how are you going to do this. I, I I think that the only way, the only way is to either replace the bye weeks with this game or push this game all the way to the end of the year and just skip it. Now then you say okay, well. You can't do that because you're giving these teams a free bye week and you're giving these teams extra rest and you're giving these teams an advantage. You know, now the Titans and the Vikings would have an extra week of rest versus whoever they play in two weeks. So is that fair? So you see the domino effect and we're not even taking into consideration player safety. We're not even taking into consideration the idea that what is safe for the player. We are just talking about the competitive side of the game. I, I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to, to do. And we open the show just because this is a breaking thing. We open the show with this just because it's just now happening right now. Uh, I, I I don't have an answer. I mean, what do y'all think, Chad? We're going to chat right now. Dates don't matter anymore. Yeah, they, like Tuesdays, the same thing as Thursday, same thing as Saturday. Sunday's different because there's games, but that's about it. But I mean, what do y'all think that should be done? What, what I mean, it's a logistical nightmare. It really is a logistical nightmare as far as trying to shuffle this around. Because it's almost like you can't be fair in any way. You can't be fair saying, oh, we'll just take a week off. You can't be fair in saying, well, play, but just don't do anything over the course of four days or whatever. I mean, do you test both teams? And if both teams don't have tests, then do you just let it go normally? Going back to chat here, think it will be played normally. So, okay, so that that's kind of what we're saying it may be played normally, but th- what if they suspend in-person practices and meetings and whatever? What if they suspend that today and tomorrow? So you're talking about two less prep days than the other teams? That's a big deal. That's a big deal, and it cannot be understated. So do you is, is, it, an, is it an injustice? Man, try and say that five times fast. Is it an injustice to make the teams play with less preparation. I think so. I think so. I think that's on the team for somehow going out and getting the virus. Well, I don't <laughs> I don't think you can punish the team for getting the virus. I mean, you never know how they got it, you know what I mean? Like, let's say let's say all these players are super quarantined. All these players are doing exactly what they should be doing but one of their kids got it from going to school. You know, like, I don't think that's worth a punishment. I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I mean, you can't... If that's the case, bubble the players. 
if that's the case, then make the players go into bubbles and do the season like that. But if you're if the season can if the season can happen, you can't tell these players don't see your family, don't see your kids, don't do that stuff. You, you, you can't punish them for that. I mean, it may not be their fault, but you can't penalize the other team. But but can you but 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 do you penalize the do you penalize the team? Like that's what I'm saying is that you're penalizing the Titans or the Vikings because you're forcing them to play after not having the preparation. Now here's another here's another thought. Here's another one. Now this would be tough too. I was going to say you could ha- you could push the game back, like do the game on Monday, like have a doubleheader of Monday Night Football, but then that's so many logistics with the stadiums and all that stuff. So the teams that now got the virus are the ones who should get penalized. Yeah, but why? I, I, I'm not sure why they should get penalized. Why should they get penalized? Let's talk about that. Why should teams that get the virus get penalized? Because that comes with the implication that they did something wrong. What if they didn't do anything wrong? What if they're following regulations and they got it from just, you know, like I, I don't think it's a scarlet letter. Like I don't think getting the, I don't think getting the virus should, you know, be a be like a a thing where you get the virus, you you know, you get you get penalized. That doesn't make any sense because you can't penalize anyone else. And if you don't penalize the ones who got it then you would be penalizing some random teams who don't have it. Life's not fair. <laughs> I'm not saying anyone should be penalized. I'm not saying I'm not saying teams should get penalized. I'm saying what's the easiest way to make this the most competitive for all parties involved. I'm not saying that some teams should be penalized, some shouldn't. I'm not saying that one should have an advantage, one shouldn't. I'm saying what's the easiest way to normalize this situation to where you take care of the virus. You take care of the personal, the personal thing, and then you go from there. I mean, it almost seems like the the only. It almost seems like so. I, okay, so see this thing. If y'all are listening on the podcast, you won't be able to see this. But there's an ad over here that says my kids are eating me out of house and home, and then it says best freezers for the search bar. I just randomly looked and I thought it said breast feeders, and I was like, what? What? That's not a. That's not a solution. That's not a solution for your kids eating you out of house and home. It's, it's to hire a bunch of breastfeeders. But anyways, I, what I'm saying is this is something that happens, right? And this is the first time it does happen. So what is the, what is at play to fix it all? And, the, and maybe the best way is to test the whole teams, test both teams, figure out who's got it, figure out who doesn't, and then just go normal. Just say, okay, the, these three players who have it, GTFO for two weeks and these players who don't have it you can play and practice and everything's normal just test them all and go from there I don't think you quarantine both teams for 10 days you know I don't I don't think that's the move but we'll wrap up that conversation once you have one breastfeeders uh reference it's it, you know that's when you just that's when you get out of there Let's move on, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do the power rankings first. Let's do the power rankings first, baby. You know, sometimes we, we break down the games first. We're going to do the power rankings first, right now. So let's look at last week's power rankings. Ravens 1, Seahawks 2, Chiefs 3, Packers 4, Bills 5, Cardinals 6, Rams 7, 
Steelers 8, Patriots 9, Titans 10. Now, remember, these power rankings are a reflection of, one, who is doing the best at that moment, and it's also a little bit of who I think the most competitive teams are. So, because the Ravens are 1 last week and the Chiefs are 3, it doesn't necessarily mean that I think the Ravens are better. I think that it's closer to like how the BCS used to do their rankings in college football, where it's a bit of who the best teams are, but it's also a bit of who what you've done so far. So like a 3-0 and team, like the Bears, if the Bears were 6-0, and even though I think the Bears suck, they'd have to be in the top 10. You know what I'm saying? So let's do this thing. The Chiefs are number one. The Chiefs, the Chiefs are number one. The Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. That is not even up for debate. That is not a question. That's not a uh, topic. That's not a question. It's not a nothing. It's not a hot take. It is a straight-up fact. Chiefs are the best team. Andy Reid might be the best coach. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback. What they did to the Ravens on Monday night, and we'll get deep into this with our game breakdown, the Chiefs are so good because they know they're so good. When you watch the Chiefs and it's third and six, most other teams are like, man, shit, we're terrible on third down. How do we pick this up? What do we do? And then there's the Chiefs who are like, we know we're going to pick this up. It's just how do we want to pick it up? I think they were like 11 for 13 on third downs or something like that. Uh, last night against the Ravens, there's like a little spider, like a little bitty spider that just dropped down. Like on, I guess from the lamp or from this lamp over here, and it's kind of, it's kind of freaking me out, but it's also kind of not. It's like the smallest spider in the whole world. So I'm kind of watching it, making sure it just goes away. It looks like it's going to go away. It looks like it's going to go away, but it also looks like it might, it might float onto the top of my head. All right, we're just going to forget it's there and hope it forgets we're there. Yeah, I think we're good. I think it's chilling. But the Chiefs are so damn good. Like, take it out. It's really small. I mean, it's really small. And it's kind of far away now. I'm going to keep my eye on it. And if it gets closer, I'm going to eliminate it. I'm going to snipe it. But if it stays where it's at, I'm pretty chill with it. It's like one of those ones that's kind of like clear almost. Like, it's kind of like white, kind of clear. But I mean, it's, it's, it looks like a flake like a flake of dust. I mean, it's, it's really small. But the Chiefs just do it different. The Chiefs do it different. They can they can convert any third down. They can convert any fourth down. They can convert any two-point conversion. They can do anything they want. They can do anything they want. And every facet of the game is so dialed in. Mahomes, the wide receivers, Travis Kelsey. I mean, if you told me the Chiefs have to rely on Kelsey, kind of like how the Raiders relied on Darren Waller, I'd be like, well, okay. I mean, they could do it because he's so good. And Patrick Mahomes, I mean, how many throws did he make last night where it's like superhuman and it, and it, he does it three or four times a game? Unbelievable stuff. And with Andy Reid, the play calling, I think the Chiefs are without a doubt the best team in the NFL. I would be absolutely stunned if they don't win the Super Bowl. Second best team in the NFL, I think it's the Seahawks. I don't understand the people who are like, even though the Ravens got beat last night, they're still the second best team in the NFL. I saw I saw a sports media person, I'm trying to think who it was now, but I saw someone who was like, 
the crazy part is the Ravens are far and away the second best team in the NFL. And I'm like, have y'all seen the Seahawks play? I think the Seahawks are far and away better than the Ravens. The Ravens, look, here's the deal with the Ravens. If Lamar Jackson is not the MVP, now, now I've lost the spot. Now I've lost it. Now I've lost it. I'm not even sure what it is now. If Lamar Jackson is not the MVP, if he's not playing at an incredibly high level, I think the Ravens are pretty pretty mediocre. And by mediocre, I mean like, you know, the sixth, seventh best team in the NFL. They don't have big wins. They do not beat really good teams convincingly. They beat the Niners last year, but that was in a rainstorm. I think it was like 9-6. to six. They didn't do well in the playoffs. So we haven't really seen this Ravens team be the Ravens against like the supreme elite competition. So I don't think that you can sit there and say the Ravens are obviously the second best team in the NFL. I think you can say they're a dangerous team. I think you can say they are a really good team. I think you can say they're a good, well-coached team. They have a good defense. But they're pretty limited with the idea that they only go as far as Lamar Jackson is going to take them. If Lamar Jackson has an off game like he did last night, they look pretty pedestrian. With that being said, you know they're still really good. But the Seahawks, I say it every week. I say it every single week, but this Seahawks team is the best offense Russell Wilson has ever had, and it's the best Russell Wilson is playing, and their defense is good too. Not good, but it's, it's, it's you know, they have Jamal Adams. Like they, they, their defense is good enough. They don't have, it's not the Legion of Boom. But with Jamal Adams, they can make plays. The Seahawks are sweet. I mean, this, if we had a Seahawks-KC Super Bowl, what's the over-under? Like 75? 80? I mean, it's like a college game. So I'm saying that the Seahawks are the second best team in the NFL. Now we go down. Now there's a little bit of moving and shaking down here. There's a little bit of moving and shaking. So let's go to the third team in the NFL. So the Ravens, how far do they fall, right? We had them at one. They get relatively blown out by the Chiefs. They made it close in the second half for a second there, and then got then got slapped up. But how far do they fall? Do they fall under Green Bay? Do they fall under Buffalo? I'm okay with saying right now, because of just how we do this on a week-by-week basis, I think it's okay to put Buffalo slightly under Green Bay. Now... I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, I don't think Green Bay is better than Buff- than Baltimore. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think Green Bay is better than Baltimore. But given the power rankings, I'm okay with Green Bay being three. The problem with Green Bay is that Green Bay has not played very good competition. They played a really bad Vikings team, one of the worst defenses. They played a really bad Lions team, one of the worst defenses. And they played the Saints, who right now have one of the worst defenses. So we've seen the Packers do really well against the bad defenses in, in the NFL. How they will do against some elite-level competition, that's going to be interesting as well. Now, the reason I put Green Bay at three is because they went to New Orleans. They got a win on the road without Devontae Adams. So they had a much more uphill battle, and they handled it much better. They really controlled the game, and Rodgers is playing really well. You know, So a lot of the times, if you have a team like the Packers, and they have an elite-level quarterback who's playing elite, I will usually go with that player. So put Rodgers up there because we don't even know their ceiling. We don't, I mean, if they had, if they were full strength, I think we would know much better about this team. But we don't know. We don't know if Devon, like if Adams comes back and, they're, and they have another gear, 
then all of a sudden I say, man, is this the best team in the NFL? If they're beating the Saints and they're beating teams like that without him, and they, he comes back and they start lighting it, lighting it up, I don't know. I'm going to leave Baltimore at four. So I think Baltimore, I think Baltimore has a few like more positive things than like the Bills who have at five. And I think I think you still obviously would rather have Lamar Jackson than Josh Allen, but I think it's close. And I've said this about the Bills before, where I'm waiting to see Josh Allen how he progresses, and I don't think Josh Allen has got to the last his last evolution. They're playing. They're three and zero. They've played two awful teams and the Jets and the Dolphins, and then almost blew a huge lead against the Rams. And then you talk about where they blew. They let the Jets come back in. I mean, the Jets they they were beating the Jets like a drum, and I think only beat the Jets by ten. So does Buffalo still have some kinks to work out as far as organizational structure? You know, handling a lead, finishing a game out, things like that, or. Is this a team that's very similar to Baltimore where they need Josh Allen to be at an MVP level and to bail them out in these games? I mean, Josh Allen bailed them out and a bad pass interference call, bailed them out against Los Angeles. And that's on the road. That was, that was, I mean, that's on, at home. That's on the road for L.A. That's a tough spot for L.A. And Buffalo let them sneak back in. So it's hard for me to be like, yeah, Buffalo is better than Baltimore. So I'm going to leave Buffalo at five. Now, we got, now the Rams are going to fall off. The Rams will fall off. Uh, let's see. Before I get ahead of myself, let's see. Do I, do, I, do the Titans fall off? The Titans barely won. Again. I, I think they might. So the Titans are questionable. New England's not going to fall off. Pittsburgh, uh, they played Houston, one by seven. Hmm. They're not going to fall off. Hmm. Arizona gets beat by the Lions. They're going to fall off, obviously. Okay, so number six. Uh, let's put some teams back in the mix. The Saints are... Uh, do I put the Saints back in the mix? All right, let's, let's think who goes back in the mix here. So we have... So we have four spots that are open, basically. Or let's, let's, let's move the Patriots up. So the Patriots are sixth. The Patriots... The Patriots, honestly, might be the most dangerous team besides the Chiefs and the AFC. Because we know, we know that they're so well coached. We know how organized they are. We know how dangerous it is to give Belichick time or prep or any of that stuff. And with Cam Newton playing how he's playing, I mean, this is a team who, if they play Buffalo... If New England play Buffalo in the playoffs and you're telling Belichick he's just got to go stop Josh Allen, I have a lot of faith in Belichick to be able to do that. And then I have a lot of faith in Cam Newton to be able to make plays enough to win the game. I mean, New England has a great defense, great pass defense. New England could be scary. They are the surprise team this year, for sure. I mean, they they are for sure the surprise team, because I don't think anybody thought Cam Newton was going to be this close to MVP Cam Newton. I think people thought he might be better. Like I thought he may be better. I thought he may be better than he was last year as far as he's healthy, but he's still older. Like what was he going to be like? Will he throw the ball like Drew Brees or will he throw it more like Cam Newton? I didn't expect him to come out here and run the ball like he's running it. 
I didn't expect him to have such a grasp of the offense like he does. I mean, I could not be more impressed with New England. I could not be more impressed with Cam Newton. Like, let's see what he did last week. So, let's see. Last week, Cam... So, he... Let's go to the box score. So, last week, not great in the air at all. Nine carries, 27 yards. Really didn't do much. Really didn't do much at all. And that and that's saying something, too. That's saying something, too, when Cam can have a bad game. And the team still looks as good as they look. I mean, they still won by 16. You know, they won by 16 points, and Cam went 17 of 28 for 162 yards, a touchdown, a pick, which is terrible. 26.7 QBR. And then he only runs for nine carries for 27 yards. I mean, that, that says a lot. You know, that's whenever you know you have a good team because you have your defense to rely on or other players, and you just need players like Cam Newton to, to run the offense. Yeah, I think New, New England's scary. and They're only going to get better. They are only going to get better unless Cam gets hurt. So they're my six. Steelers will be seven. I think the Steelers are a low-key, scary team too. I think the Steelers are a really low-key, scary team because for so long, Roethlisberger had to carry the team. For so long, it was like, well... You know, Big Ben's got to run around, got to take hits, got to two-minute drives, whatever. And now he's just kind of fallen into that Peyton Manning role in Denver where, hey, man, just be the leader. Hey, man, just be smart. Hey, man, just manage the game. Don't screw this up for us. Let James Conner, let Juju, let let your defense, let them do it. And that's what they're doing. I mean, they're back to Pittsburgh football where they're winning with their defense. They're, I mean, T.J. Watt, you talk about a star. T.J. Watt has been disgusting. So this is a team that's going to go out there and say, look, we're going to get after the quarterback. We're going to pressure you. We're going to play defense. We're going to run the ball, and we have a quarterback that when we have to, when needed, can make the make the specific throws to get us where we got to be. Pittsburgh is really good. And uh, for I mean, for so long in my lifetime, Pittsburgh was a, was a fill-in. Pittsburgh was like, okay, we'll go ahead and write them in for the playoffs. And I think people forgot about them. I think people forgot about Pittsburgh because of how Roethlisberger's been hurt. You know, they saw a whole lot of uh, Duck Hodges, and they saw a whole lot of of their. Ba- I mean, it, I feel like Pittsburgh went through like six or seven quarterbacks just trying to, you know, patch up the team when Roethlisberger went down. But I think that all kind of led to the narrative of Pittsburgh is just irrelevant, and they're back, baby. They're back to being relevant. So I think the t- I think the top seven is pretty solid. Okay. So now we have to talk about who's going to be 8, 9, 10. And if we look down here at who cannot be in there, you're looking at like the Jets can't be in there, Washington can't be in there, the Texans can't be in there, uh, Philly can't be in there, the Giants can't be in there. I mean, I guess the Rams could still be in in the conversation. The Saints are in the conversation. The Bucks, I guess, are in the conversation. The Niners are in the conversation. Let me make sure. I guess the I mean the Titans are. I mean the Titans are three and zero, so the Titans are, are in the conversation. It's just it's just you go and you barely squeak one out against Minnesota. Let's so make sure I'm not missing anyone here. The Bears are three and zero, but I'm not putting them in the conversation. I'll tell you that right now. I'll tell you that right now, ladies and gentlemen. 
Mm, all right. Okay, so we're going to put the Titans. We're going to put the Titans at eight. Titans are three and zero. Derrick Henry had a good game. Derrick Henry's coming back a little bit into the fold. Derrick Henry's coming a little bit more into the Derrick Henry we saw last year. A little bit more of the player we remember. So if that's the case, if that's what they can do and get back to that, then they deserve to be in the top ten. They are. They certainly deserve to be in the top ten right now, being three and zero. So we'll have them in the bottom half of the top ten. I think eight is fine. So now we go to nine and ten. So this is a lot of guessing with what these teams are going to be. I think all these teams are a bit underwhelming right now and a bit unknown. I think we can put I think we can safely put LA back in there. Cuz the LA was in a really tough spot. LA was in a tough spot going across the country, playing early, playing in Buffalo against the Bills. Uh they fought back, they were down big, came back. I I still think McVay is a good enough of a coach and Jared Goff is good enough when pressed that they can figure something out. So I'm still going to put them in here, even though they had a loss. I think they were at seven, right? So now they dropped to nine. Now the next thing I'm going to do is controversial yet brave. The next thing I'm going to do is very controversial yet brave. So I'm going to put the Niners back in here. I'm going to tell you why. I think Nick Mullins is not an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think he's pretty similar to Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe better. I mean, he. You could, I could argue that he's better. I'm not going to sit here and say he's definitively better, but I could. I would listen to arguments about it. I would listen to that. And what do we know about Frisco right now? Why Why were they off the top 10? They're off the top 10 last week because of the injuries. And Garoppolo was one of the injuries. So if they're winning games while injured, and we're moving forward, and they're just going to get healthier and healthier, now there's some injuries they will have the whole year, like Bosa out the whole year. But if they're winning games and they're slowly getting healthier, I think we got to put them back in there. I mean, they went and handled the business. It's been one game for Mullins. If you go back and look at Mullins from what he's done while he's played and what Garoppolo's done while he's played, they're very similar. I'm not saying Mullins is a top 10 quarterback. I'm not saying Mullins is a top 15 quarterback. Last week, we said Jimmy Garoppolo was the 25th best quarterback in the NFL. I think Mullins is somewhere between 25 and 27, somewhere in there. So if they're not missing anything at the quarterback position and they can slightly figure it out with other with other gaps, will the will the Niners be will they be the fifth best team? I highly doubt it. Without that defensive line and with some of the injuries and all that. But will they still be a perennial threat? Will they still be a very talented team that just suffered through some injuries? I think so. So this is my new top 10 honorable of honorablest mentions are the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are really close to getting in there. I still think the Bucs are super overrated. I still think Tom, I mean, I'll, I'll say something controversial yet brave again. As far as pure, as far as pure production, I'm not sure if there's a, ooh, man, this is a hot take. I don't even know if I can say it. Can I even say a take this hot? If I say a take this hot, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless may appear in my studio. Do I even say it? I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I was thinking of. I was debating in my head with saying that pure production in one season, this season, there's probably not that big of a drop off from Tom Brady to Nick Mullins. 
but I'm not ready to say that yet. I'm not ready to say that yet because Tom Brady is not the 25th best quarterback in the NFL. Like Tom Brady's obviously higher than that. So if Tom Brady's a top 20 quarterback in the NFL, do I think Mullins is a top 20? Probably not. So I'm not ready to say that yet, but it's not that big of a drop. I'll say that. It's not that big of a drop, but it is a drop. It is a drop. So I, I almost got too hot take. You see, like, think about it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm giving you all this incredible information. And right there, I could, I saw the clickbait. I saw the YouTube. I saw millions of dollars coming into my bank account. I saw, you know, ESPN multi-year deals. I saw Fox Sports calling. I saw people, uh, Monday Night Football commentator gigs. I saw all that happening with my YouTube video, Why Nick Mullins is Better Than Tom Brady. And I turned all that down. I turned all that down for you just so that I could be correct. I mean, that you talk about ethics. You talk about the heart, you know, the heart of a thousand sons. Is where I can take all that fame and fortune and the honeys. I can take all that and set it aside just for each and every one of you to have the correct information. So this is the new top 10. KC, Seattle, Green Bay, Baltimore, Buffalo, New England, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, the Rams, and the San Francisco 49ers. Honorable mention, a.k.a. the 11th team. I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's my 11th team. 12th team, probably the Cardinals. 13th team, probably the Saints. And then it's just a bunch of trash. So that's the top 10. All right, so let's do now... Let's do now the game the game breakdowns. Let's we'll start with Thursday night football. Or have we already done? I think we did this on Friday. Yeah, I think we did this on Friday. So we're gonna skip we're gonna skip Dolphins Jags. And I hope none of you are bothered by that. If you're bothered with me skipping Dolphins Jags, then get a life. Go buy a dog. If you want to talk about Dolphins Jags, I don't even know where to send you. I don't even know where to tell you to go. I don't even know where you could go to get conversations about Dolphins Jacks, but it ain't here. I'm not sure what order these games are in, because Packers Saints is first. Maybe it's descending order from like Sunday Night Football onward. But that's not right, because then the Cowboys would be higher up. Okay, so Packers Saints. We're starting off Sunday Night Football. Honestly, I felt okay about this game. Now, you know I'm a Saints fan. You know that we really gave the Saints a lot of trouble when they lost to the Raiders. This game actually made me feel kind of okay. This game made me really see what the Saints are. And we've talked about it before, where or we talked about it last week, where I said, look, we're gonna know we're gonna know what the Saints are come Sunday night. And this was a really nice gifted package of what the Saints really are. Here's what they really are. They're probably going to win the NFC South, and they're probably going to get bounced in the first round. And that's it. That's probably just what the Saints are. Before the season, it was, oh, Super Bowl team, oh, this, this, and this. And we know they're not. You can't watch Seattle. You can't watch the Chiefs. You can't watch any of those teams and be like, yeah, the Saints could compete. 
Oh yeah, the Saints are definitely on par with the bucket with the uh, with the Chiefs. Oh yeah, I could definitely see the Saints going and beating Seattle. No, no. Now the NFC South. Look around: Panthers, Falcons, Bucks. We already beat the Bucks. I think we're the best of that lot. I think we're somewhere in the neighborhood of ten and seven, eleven and eleven and six, somewhere in there. You know, and that's fine. That's fine. I don't think anybody thought after the first two games the Saints were, huh? What we got? We, we're going to chat here. What is what is the huh? What is the huh for in chat? <clears throat> Was it because of the math? Yeah, there's 17 games this year. Yeah, it's kind of surprising how many people don't know that. But yeah, there's 17 games in the NFL this year. Yes, 17 games and one extra playoff team. So I think you have three wild card teams now and 17 games. And again, the information you find out on this podcast. I mean, what 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 a what a talent. So, anyways, I think the Saints. the 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 question mark for me was. Are the Saints terrible? Like, are they total shit? Are they awful? Or are they a slightly above average team who's just kind of their windows closed? And I think we found that out. They hung with the Packers. They should have beat the Packers. And we'll get into what happened. They should have beat the Packers. And they lost to the Packers. The Packers are a really good team. I mean, we have them, what, we have them at four? Three. We have the Packers at three. So you're talking about, look, you hung with the third best team in the NFL. You hung with probably the second best team in the NFC. Should have beat them. Had a chance to beat them. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that being where the Saints are now. Where they need stuff to happen. They need certain things to happen in the game to really have a chance. All that stuff. And there's only 16 according to the schedules. Okay, let's take a look. Let's take a look here. Yeah. One, two... Yeah, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. What am I missing here? So there's 16 games? Is this right? So there's 16? What am I missing? The bye week? So there's only 16 games. Where the hell did I get there with 17 games? Because I just had this exact conversation. Because I didn't know there were... I, I thought there were 16 games, and then someone told me there were 17, and then we went through the schedule, and there were 17. I could have swore... Maybe we were both... Okay, well, I'm just going to delete this VOD anyways. <sighs> this is where... This is where... Not editing... Really makes it hard. Maybe the seven, like the seventeen, got mixed up with the seventh playoffs playoff team. Maybe that's why I, I thought there were seventeen weeks. I gotta figure out how to delete this vod. I gotta figure out how to break my computer. I gotta figure out how to get rid of the tape. We're just gonna push through it. We're gonna push through it. So the Saints are ten and six. You know they're a ten and six team. 11 and 5, somewhere in there. That's what they are. Okay? Man. The only good news, the only good news with that is, is that we did the power rankings first. 
So people will have to get like 30 minutes into the video, 30 minutes into the podcast before they realize that we were wrong about the 17 weeks. And at that point, I already got them. At that point, they're already in the algorithm. At that point, point for me. If you listen to 30 minutes of this, you know, that's fine. If you listen to 30 minutes of it and then skewer me in the comment section, I'll take that. I'll take 30 minutes. It's been a tough year, guys. Now, let's actually talk about why the Saints lost this game. It wasn't because of Drew Brees. I'll tell you that. It wasn't because of Drew Brees. It was because of two things. Sean Payton and this suck boy defense. Let's start with Sean Payton. This is something that I have had a problem with Sean Payton for for the last however many years. I honestly think sometimes Sean Payton is coaching a game and calling a game as if there are five quarters. And he just says, oh, well, let's just get Taysom involved. Oh, well, let's just get Latavius involved. Oh, well, let's just get Alvin involved. And he just randomly randomly throws these pieces in there instead of being like, oh, shit, well, I only have 10 minutes left. Or, oh, shit, I only have uh, half a quarter left. Maybe I don't need to worry about Taysom. Maybe I just need to worry about doing what I've been doing. And then randomly, and it always happens on like fourth and one, third and three, second and one, where it's like, all right, Sean, look, you are driving down the field. You are gushing or gashing this defense. Just keep doing the same thing. And then you see him on like second and one call like a double reverse pass or something that gets intercepted. And it's like, dude, why did you, did you feel like you just had to get that in? Like, did you feel like you had to make that happen? You couldn't just not? And that, I mean, here's the hallmark of a bad coach. Alan Kamara averaged 9.7 yards a rush. And he got six carries. I don't get it. Now, if you didn't watch the game, what I'm referencing, I'm referencing the Taysom Hill fumble. And I know last week we were talking about why did Taysom only get two carries. So it's going to sound like I'm kind of a flippy flopper. But here's the deal. Taysom Hill and players like Taysom Hill, they should be a change of pace back. If something's not working, put in Taysom. If you need a spark, put in Taysom. If you want to exploit a mismatch, put in Taysom. If you want to you know, throw a wrinkle in there because they're keying in on something or they're stopping something, put in Taysom. You don't put in Taysom when you make your team rallies and your team gets to a winning position and your best player is going bananas. You don't do that. Oh, and your backup running back is having an incredible game too. You don't all of a sudden decide, mm, now it's time for our designated Taysom play. It's like, hey, dude, just win the game. Just win the game. Why are we worried about getting a Taysom run in? Run Kamara. Run Murray. Throw it to Kamara. We have been waiting for two and a half games for Breeze to figure it out. Breeze started off really slow. He had 12 yards through the first two quarters. He started off really slow. Breeze started to figure it out. And he started to kind of push the ball. And he kind of started to, you know, I had a tweet where I was talking about how Breeze looks awful. And he did. At the beginning of the game, Breeze was terrified to go deep. And I don't even mean deep. I mean like 25 yards down the field. He was openly missing Sanders and Traquan. And and not that he 
miss miss them accurately. He missed like throwing to them. He would look, and then he would he would choose not to throw to them. And what that led to was a lot. And if you go back and watch the tape, you'll see this a lot, where Breeze looked deep, kind of cocked back like he was about to let it go, hesitated, checked down, and then was getting hit or was getting pressured or he took too long in the pocket. That happened a lot. And that's because I think Breeze's mind is still going through the whole check your check your progression, look deep, look at this. And then whatever is in him right now is saying, don't, look somewhere else. And he seemed to be hesitating a lot. And I didn't like that. And that's when I tweeted about how Breeze was looking terrible in the first half. What happened in the second half was Breeze really kind of got a rhythm. And it wasn't like he was lighting that ass up. It was more to the, it was more to, he was making much better six to 10 yard passes, 10 to 15 yard passes. And he started to push the ball towards the marker. He started to throw in the middle of the field. He started to have a little zip on his passes. And I'll say this, for as bad as the first half was, Breeze, I think, played a pretty good game. I don't think anybody can look at Drew Breeze' whole body of work in that game and say that he's the reason we lost, or he was bad, or put in Jameis. I don't think Jameis Winston beats beats the Packers. I don't think Jameis Winston does what Drew Breeze did. I mean... 29 for 36, 288 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Pretty damn good. 88 QBR, 127 rating. Breeze was good. Breeze is not MVP Drew Breeze. Drew Breeze is not that player anymore. That's obvious. Okay, and I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, Breeze is going to win these 55 to 54 shootouts every, every week like he used to. But he's obviously capable of playing. And this was a conversation that the Saints have or the Saints fan base has had. Is Breeze washed up? Is he medically hurt? Can he throw? And I think now we have the answer that he can throw. It's just the point of getting getting the ball to the receivers. And I think Breeze I think he's still kind of getting loose. I think as the season progresses, we'll see him slowly inch his way towards getting more receivers involved, slowly doing all that stuff. I mean, Breeze Breeze was always the guy who would spread the ball around. And all of a sudden now it's like he's he's he was struggling to spread the ball around. And even in this game, so he targeted Kamara 14 times. He still targeted Sanders five times, Traquan six times, uh, Jared Cook three times. So he's still looking around a little bit. So that's all good. I have nothing really bad to say about Drew Brees going to chat. To me, he is a better version of Alex Smith now. Um, Man, I don't know. At the end there, Alex Smith was pretty sweet because Alex Smith could run. But, he, yeah, he, he's more in that world where he ain't, you know, he's not Drew Brees. He's not the guy that he was two years ago. But he's not dead arm, washed up, retire now. You know, so that's good, and that's a good takeaway for the Saints. If you're the Saints, that's a huge takeaway, right? Now, Kamara, when he signed his contract, what I say? He's, I said that's best NFL, that's best running back in the NFL money. So he's got to do that. Well, he did it. That's what we need. We don't need this every week. I mean, this is almost 200 total yards, two touchdowns, 15 catches, but. We need a version of this Alvin Kamara every week. That's the Saints now. The Saints are Kamara's team. 
The Saints are a Kamara team when you pay that pay him that kind of money. Now again, this is without Michael Thomas. You know, like that can't be understated. The best receiver in the NFL is not on the field. So the fact that the Saints were in the game, the fact that they played this well, the fact that Breeze had a good game, the fact that Kamara was able to do all this without the defense having to worry about Michael Thomas, those are all positives. Those are all positives. And there's no way that after a couple weeks, Saints fans were still having the conversation of, this isn't good enough because we're a Super Bowl team. It's obvious that we are not a Super Bowl team. The only way that we're a Super Bowl team is if the entire defense all of a sudden completely changes. In 2018, we were probably the best defense in the NFL. There really has been no change for our defense. We lost um, uh, A.J. Klein. We lost you know, Von Bell, Eli Apple. But besides that, it's pretty much the same team. And this defense, these bunch of losers, this this defense all of a sudden is maybe the worst defense in the NFL. We are giving up right now 31 points per game. And I've got people bitching about how Jameis Winston needs to start. Unless Jameis Winston can play outside linebacker, Jameis Winston is not going to do what we need him to do. You cannot give up 31 points per game with a aging quarterback and expect to win or expect to compete. I'm not sure what happened to the defense. I'm not sure when they became this and just can't stop anybody. I saw a tweet. Let me see if I can pull it up. But I saw a tweet. It was like the last 17 drives or something. It was like the last 17 drives of the Saint against the Saints. And it was something like eight touchdowns, five field goals, one punt, stuff like that. And that's a okay, here it is. Here's the Saints opponents last seventeen drives. Eight touchdowns, five field goals, one turnover on down, one end of half, one fumble, and one punt. You don't force one punt out of seventeen drives and win games. This defense was a defense of young, brash players who ball hawking, getting turnovers, scoring touchdowns, getting after the quarterback. And now it's just a bunch of people who get penalties, over 100 yards of penalties, I think, in all three games, certainly in two of the three. And bottom line is they're losing these games. I'm putting a lot of this on Sean Payton for the Taysom Hill stuff and for just the overall game plan in, in, the, in Las Vegas and all that stuff, but... As bad as Sean Payton's been, and as up and down as Drew Brees has been, you can't ignore the fact that we're giving up 30-plus points a game and we're giving them 100 yards of free offense. That cannot be, that cannot be understated. You, don't, you are not a competitive team. You are not a good team unless you have an elite-level offense. You know, like If the Seahawks had a mediocre to bad defense, I think it would be okay. We aren't that team anymore. And we weren't that team in 2018. We weren't that team last year where, yeah, Breeze will just go out there and we'll just score 60 points a game. We'll just win. I mean, you're talking about that. That was like a 2009. You know, that that was where we have the Saints haven't been that team in a long time. So the focus for the first couple of weeks, the spotlight has been on Drew Breeze. I need more people talking about this defense. I need more people talking about 
what this defense is. If they're this bad, if they're this leaky, I mean, we might we might not even win the division, and we and we're in a bad division. So even though it sounds negative, I think that the Packers game for me, I slept pretty easy. Like for me, I mean, I slept bad. I mean, I, I was upset because of Sean Payton and the Taysom Hill thing because of how good we were turning the corner and how we could have easily won the game at home. That's another thing too. And I don't want to make this an All Saints podcast here, but for as good of a coach as Sean Payton is allegedly he sure does drop a lot of games at home and he sure does drop a lot of games where they're tied at halftime or they're within one score at halftime or the game's close. It seems like, and maybe that's his aggressive, like this, like like swashbuckler attitude where he, he has a lot of coin toss type plays where he's just, you know, super high risk, super high reward and they don't work out. But it seems like, I mean, just like with the Rams, when the Rams beat us, you know, in the dome, I think it was tied at halftime. We might have even been winning. We might have even been winning at halftime at home. I think we were winning by a lot at halftime. Because I think when... I mean, it's a bit foggy because of Crown Royal. But I'm pretty sure when I went to the halftime, I was... I thought the game was over. So for the Saints to drop games like this at home... I know that we don't have a, we don't have a fan. Like, we don't have fans in the stands. But that that, to me, says a lot about Sean Payton. You don't see Bill Belichick do that a lot. You know? Just like with Dan Quinn and the Falcons, there's something to be said about why a team drops games when they have big leads. And to me, that's a lot to do with coaching. And yeah, luck gets involved and turnovers and all that stuff, but if you can't secure a lead, if you can't win games you're supposed to win, to me, that's the sign that your coach is not that great. So I've got a lot of issues with Sean Payton right now and a lot of issues with the defense. But we'll move on from the Saints-Packers. We didn't really talk about the Packers too much, but I, we, we talked about them in the power rankings. I think the Packers are really good. I think Aaron Rodgers is really good. If I was the Packers, I would say, look, we're going to trade Dor- Jordan Love straight up for Julio Jones or someone like that, and we're going to go all in here. Uh, Rodgers is playing out of his mind. Aaron Jones is good. It looks like, you know, even though Lazard and Scantling are undrafted or late-round picks or whatever, they're playing really well. So I think the Packers are a good team. I think another team that's kind of underrated, you know, like last year people said they weren't really a 13-win team. I don't think they're a 13-win team, but I think with the way Rodgers is playing, uh, they're in every game. There's They're still a, a mighty ways away from the Kansas City Chiefs of the world, but they're still really good. Speaking of Dan Quinn, Bears-Falcons. So I obviously had Atlanta in this game. I had a bet on Atlanta. And Atlanta was up big. And the Bears did it again. The Bears have done this twice now, where the Bears have come back at the end of the game and cost me some money, once against the Lions and once against the Falcons. The As far as the Bears, I knew we were in trouble whenever Nick Foles came in. I knew we were in trouble whenever Mitchell Trubisky was removed. I'll give Matt Nagy this. Matt Nagy has been about as patient with a player as any coach has ever been in the history of the NFL as he's been with Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky, when it's all said and done, will probably be the probably one of the worst draft pick mistakes in history. Where you take a quarterback over Patrick Mahomes and he's as bad as Mitchell Trubisky. Like Deshaun Watson got taken what a pick at, two picks after Mahomes. And they're like Mahomes like Watson's been okay. You know, like he's been good. So I'm not, obviously he's not been Patrick Mahomes, but at least he's been good. Trubisky is awful. 
not only is it like, man, I can't believe you took him over Patrick Mahomes. It's just I can't believe you took him in the first round. I can't believe you took him second overall. You know, so the fact that he still gets chances is crazy. Now the Bears have announced that Nick Foles is the starting quarterback, which we expected. We expected them to move to Foles. I didn't think it would be this quick, and that's so good for the franchise. Uh, the Bears are never going to go anywhere with Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky is a failed experiment. He cannot play quarterback at the professional level. So now that the Bears have a quarterback who can obviously play at the professional level, I mean, he won a Super Bowl, this team becomes interesting. Now, I still don't think they're a great team. I still don't think they're a team that has a... I mean, I, I don't think they're a threat, but it certainly makes them better the fact that Foles is a starting quarterback. And them, I mean, they, they should be one and two, you know. So I'm not getting super hyped on the Bears, but I do think it's definitely the right decision to go from Foles, or go from Trubisky to Foles. Now the question is, now what Matt Nagy can do with basically a full season of a competent quarterback. So that'll be interesting to watch. In Atlanta, I don't know how Dan Quinn still has a job. I think Dan Quinn's got to go. I mean, look, whether it's bad luck, whether it's not his fault, you can't blow that Super Bowl and then have this season where you're blowing all these games. I mean, the Falcons, the Falcons should be two and zero or two and one. Like, how different does that look if the Falcons are two and one, the Bucks are two and one, the Saints are one and two? Like, all of a sudden now it's like, man, the NFC South's pretty sweet, but you have a total dumpster fire. And I'll tell you this, too. Dan Quinn's going to get a lot of hate. But Matt Ryan was so bad in this game. He was so bad. I mean, I'm shitting on Trubisky a lot, but Trubisky and Ryan weren't too far off. And if you're Atlanta, I mean, mean, you're kind of dead in the water. Because, like, what are you going to do? You're 0-3. Are you going to move on from Ryan? Who, Who is even their backup quarterback? I mean, it's time now, like in the offseason, yeah, sure. In the offseason, draft a quarterback, go find someone else. The Matt Ryan experiment's over. you know. And, and now you got Julio's hurt this game, but Julio, he's wasting away. So in my opinion, if you're Atlanta, blow it up. Go and trade Julio for whatever you can get, draft picks or backup quarterbacks or whoever. I mean, why? Like I, I brought the Jordan Love trade earlier, so I threw that out there on Twitter. Like, who says no first? I think it makes pretty good sense for both teams. You know, Atlanta, they may be able to get a little more, too. They might be able to be like, a, hey, give me Jordan Love and a third-round draft pick or Jordan Love and a fourth for Julio. And you get a, an heir apparent quarterback, a first-round kind of talent, and see what you can do. But Atlanta's done as far as the Matt Ryan, Dan Quinn, Julio Jones. So their running backs, Todd Gurley, paying him a ton of money, or not, well, a, a formerly highly paid running back, like a formerly franchise-paid running back, but injured, hurt, playing pretty good this season, but he ain't it. So you have to have a complete rebuild if you're Atlanta. you got to find a new quarterback, new weapons, a new head coach, and if they don't do it sooner than later, these 8-8 eight and eight seasons, these 6-10 and 10 seasons, are going to fall into like 2-14 and 14 seasons pretty quick. Uh, Atlanta's a mess, man. I mean, how many more late-game implosions can they possibly have? They've already had more than we see teams have in their entire franchise history. So the Falcons are a real mess. Organizationally, roster, everything. Rams-Bills. What a game. 
the Bills came out to a really early start here and really were putting it on Los Angeles. And like I, you know, we've said before, whenever Jared Goff gets put in situations where he can't cook, he really struggles. And I'll give them this. Like, Sean McVay is kind of the whole Matt Nagy, Mr. Trubisky thing. McVay has completely created this offense and completely changed his, his plays to fit around Jared Goff. And the fact that Jared Goff, and he can get this kind of production out of Jared Goff, I mean, Jared Goff averaged 10 yards, of, 10 yards of pass, 10 yards of completion. So Jared Goff has planned pretty well. In a really tough spot here, the Rams played really well. And the Rams came back. And the Rams should be, I, I think with teams, just like the Saints, like if you're a Rams fan, yeah, you want to win the game. But you got to take a ton from this game. You got to take a ton of positivity. You got to say, look, we traveled across the country. We played one of the best teams in the NFL. We were getting our ass kicked, and we turned it around and tried to come back. And our quarterback played pretty well. Running back played pretty well. We're happy with it. And I would be happy with this game if I was if I was the Rams. The Bills, I think the Bills are probably have the best defense in the NFL. But I can only say that for so long if they keep giving up this many points. I mean, the Jets, I think they beat the Jets 27-17, something like that. And then the Dolphins, they barely beat the Dolphins. Dolphins put up like 30 points. And now the Rams put up 30 points. So I'm out here saying that the Bills are one of the best three defenses in the NFL. Well, if they aren't a top 10 defense, all of a sudden they're just Josh Allen. Josh Allen's got to do everything. And I'll give Josh Allen this. He's playing out of his mind. I mean, he is is leaps and bounds better than I want to give Josh Allen credit for. And if he can continue this, he is ascended from prospect to, eh, he's got some stuff to work out, to potential MVP kind of player. So Buffalo, yeah, they're 3-0. and But when you go 3-0 and you got the Jets, Dolphins, Rams, and you've given up a combined like 100 points over three games, it's not that many, but it's like probably 75 points. 75 points over three games, you're supposed to have this great defense. I'd be worried about that. I'd be big worried about that. Josh Allen and a passing interference call bailed this team out. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, this team could be one and two. The Bills could be one and two. It could have beat the Jets, lost to the Dolphins, lost to the Rams. So, Buffalo's got a lot to prove to me. Washington and the Browns. Browns win 20, or 34-20. A pretty pedestrian game from Baker Mayfield. 16 of 23 for 156. Two touchdowns, no picks. No picks is good. Baker's usually good for an interception a game. And this that stat line is so bad if you throw in a pick. So no no picks there for him is good. Um, on the other side, Dwayne Haskins, 21 of 37. 224. Two touchdowns, three picks. Really bad from him. Uh, after the game, Ron Rivera said, look, Haskins has a leash. And that's really interesting because this is the guy who, and I think I even said it in preview in this game, that Haskins doesn't really turn the ball over. He's been pretty good about not turning the ball over. And to see him throw three picks is really saying something. But, I I mean, look, Ron Rivera has forgotten more about football than I'll ever know, so I'm I'm not going to bash Ron Rivera for going after his quarterback. Maybe he knows how to get a young quarterback focused or whatever. But I don't think a lot of this is on Haskins. If you're talking about a guy who probably shouldn't have been starting last year, he's starting now. He really has no help around him. He's on a bad team. You know, he, 
So, I mean, this game, Jesus, he had two fumbles, lost one, threw three picks. So, four turnovers from Haskins could have been five. I, I think you give him time. Like, I think it's time. I think Haskins, you got to give him time. You can't. You can't be out there look be like, look, we're gonna pull the ripcord on this guy. I don't think that's fair. So, I love Ron Ron Rivera and what he's doing with this team. I think that he'll be a a savior for this team. I don't think Washington will be good until one Haskins develops, or two they get players around him that can take the load off of him. As far as Cleveland, this is Cleveland to a T. They play a bad team, they're going to show up. They play bad teams, they're going to show up and be exciting. You fate, you give Cleveland the Ravens, you give Cleveland the Chiefs, you give Cleveland the Patriots, you give Cleveland the Packers. They're going to fold. They're going to fold every time. This is the biggest paper team probably in the NFL. It's a bunch of stars, a bunch of studs who only care about themselves. Now, I'm going to say something controversial yet brave here. Odell Beckham Odell Beckham started streaming on Twitch. <clears throat> and he streams, I think, Monday and Tuesday. Now, I'm never one to have a big problem with you know, a, a player doing stuff off the field as far as like living their life. But isn't this like exactly what Odo Beckham should not be doing is streaming? Like how crazy is it that, imagine they lose this game, right? Imagine they lose this game and on Sunday. And on Monday, Odo Beckham is just streaming Call of Duty on Twitch, talking to chat. You know, it's like, to me, that just doesn't sit well with a guy like Odell who they brought in to be the star receiver. If that's not what Odell is, if he's not a star receiver, if he's not whatever, fine. But this that describes the Browns so perfectly. Where you have Baker Mayfield, you have Odell Beckham, you have all these all these players who are supposed to be these like rock star Hollywood players, and they're average as hell on the field, and they're trying to live up to this persona of this like pop culture superstar. So if Odell Beckham Jr. wants to get squad dubs on Call of Duty, and if he's more focused on his sub count, he's more focused on donations and bits on Twitch, that's fine. But let's quit acting like Odell Beckham is Randy Moss. Let's quit acting like Baker Mayfield is Brett Favre. I mean, if, I, I feel like every single game the Browns play, I have to hear a comparison between Brett Favre and Baker Mayfield. Where the hell is that comparison? Is the comparison only because Baker Mayfield makes really bad decision throws? Like, is that the only comparison? I mean, there's a lot of other quarterbacks who throw interceptions. I just don't think Baker Mayfield is a – I don't think the Brett Favre comparisons are still there. But Cleveland, I mean, I think Cleveland's one. I mean, they're they're a dead in the water team. Like, what what are the Browns? Are they a playoff team? If they are a playoff team, are they a real threat in the playoffs? No. Titans Vikings, a great bounce back game from the Vikings. The Vikings really needed a good performance. Um, you know, they still end up losing here, still zero and three. But at least they show some kind of life. I mean, Dalvin Cook goes absolutely crazy. 22 carries, 181 yards. Justin Jefferson, seven receptions for 175 yards. And Kirk Cousins, 16-27, 251, three touchdowns, two picks. Uh, we, we've talked about the Vikings at length. I, I think when you look at the Vikings, like I've said, they're a team that's rebuilding, even though they don't know they're rebuilding. And Kirk Cousins is just not the guy. Like Kirk Cousins is not the guy you want to have to try and carry your team. He's not the guy you want to try and to try and you know steady the ship. If the ship starts sinking, Kirk Cousins is going to be one of the first people to jump off the ship. He is not built for this. 
So with a bad Kirk Cousins, I don't think things are going to get better for Minnesota. Minnesota before the season was like an eight and a half, nine projected win team. And I think what happened with Minnesota is they went from being an eight to nine win team to a six win team. And now they're probably closer to a four win team. So I think that's where they'll fall. I think Minnesota will probably be somewhere between four and six wins. And they have pieces, but they just have to figure out like the Kirk Cousins issue. Let's go to chat real quick. Jefferson is a dog. Too bad he has to be on the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a stud. You know, like Justin Jefferson is a really good player. Justin Jefferson is a good receiver to have out there. He's a good young player. And he's part of that development where in two years, will Justin Jefferson be one of the top five receivers in the league? Maybe. You know, but he isn't now. And they have too many holes on the defense. And the team is rebuilding. Mike Zimmer is having his first real time where he has to, like, coach. He, he's got it right now. I mean, this isn't the Minnesota team where he's got the best defense in the league or he's got, you know, studs all over the place and they can go out there and win games, you know, with, with organization and, and that way. He has to win games with a bad roster. So we're going to see a lot from Mike Zimmer here. I, if I'm Minnesota, I'm expecting five wins. Tennessee, Tennessee's 3-0. and I love Mike Vrabel. I think Mike Vrabel is one of the most underrated coaches in, in the NFL. This is what Tennessee is. Tennessee is 26 carries, 119 yards, two touchdowns from Derrick Henry. Win the game. That's what he is. We know that's what they are, right? We know that's what Derrick Henry is. We know that's what Tennessee wants to do. These are games, just like I was talking about with Sean Payton, where I feel like these are games that teams like the Patriots, teams like even Alabama, good organized franchises or programs, they win games like this. Oh, you're playing a shitty team. You're getting pushed to the brink you're in the game the whole way and somehow you win, somehow you scrape away a win, that's the hallmark of a good team. That's the hallmark of a good organization. Yeah, you may drop a game here and there, but more times than not, those really close games, those games that are a little too close for comfort, you're still coming out ahead. And that's, I just think it's so impressive for Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill... He bounces back and forth. I mean, he bounces back and forth between is he a guy who can get you 300 yards and win you games like this, or is he a guy that you trust to throw the ball six times in the the AFC Championship game? Which version is he? I'm not even sure if Mike Vrabel knows. Is Tannehill a guy that you are okay with throwing 25 to 30 times in the playoffs? If not, like, is this what we're going to see? Are we going to see Tennessee win games in the regular season? Tannehill throwing the ball over the place? And then we get to the playoffs and the whole team shrinks up and they have to win 17 to 10 ball games. What's the development of Ryan Tannehill? I feel like the Titans are one step away. I mean, I feel like the Titans are right there. They're right there from being a true AFC contender. I don't think they are an AFC contender, but I think when you combine their running game, you combine their defense, you combine their organizational structure, Vrabel, I think they're going to be competitive. I think this is a team that could win 11 games, 12 games, something like that. It's the question is, can they take that organizational step from being a perennial playoff team to a perennial conference champion? That's the question with Tennessee. Next game. Raiders-Patriots. Talked about this a little bit earlier. I think the Patriots are good. I think the Patriots are confirmed good. I think we learned that from the Patriots is that 
I'll, I'll say I'll say this. This is even controversial. The Patriots are better this year than they were last year. The Patriots are playing better with Cam Newton than they did last year with Tom Brady. And they're playing better with Cam Newton right now than they would have with Tom Brady. So you've a franchise that's built in winning, best coaches, best coach in the history of the NFL, a lot of the same players who are used to winning, who are used to being competitive, who are used to big games, and now you have a Cam Newton with a chip on his shoulder where if he has the games where he's a stud, I mean, this game he wasn't great, right? If he does have the games where he's a total stud, they're just going to win, bottom line. And these are the games I'm talking about with good organization. Cam Newton was terrible this game. Below average. And they win by 16. It's the Patriots' way, man. They're, they are really good. I would not be surprised at all if the Patriots were in the AFC Championship game. Wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. They are, uh, they're way better off with Cam Newton. We talked about it last week. Shame on the rest of the NFL for not signing Cam Newton. Why he went that long without being signed is unbelievable to me. When you look at the NFL and you look at the quarterbacks. As a Saints fan, I wish I had Cam Newton. I mean, he, he looks, he's not MVP Cam yet, but he ain't too far off. As far as the Raiders, even though they beat the Saints, I was not impressed at all with John Gruden. I was not impressed at all with their play calling. I was not impressed at all with Derek Carr. And this kind of just bled some into that where they're a bang average team. When they play good teams, when they play, you know, when they're challenged, I think they're going to struggle. They're probably right there at eight and eight. They're probably right there at you know nine wins, seven wins, eight wins, somewhere in there. I wouldn't put too much stock into the Raiders. I think they're good moving forward, but I think they are their ceiling is lower with John Gruden. I don't think Gruden can evolve to catch up to what the rest of the NFL is doing. I think you see a team that's pretty much their ceiling. Derek Carr, I don't think has too much room for growth. Gruden, I don't think has too much room. I think Josh Jacobs is really good. Uh, but they're still they, they they need some core pieces. They need an identity before they can take that next step. So I think until they do that, they'll hover in that seven eight nine win world. Next game, Niners Giants. Jesus. So the Niners again. I think Nick Mullins is pretty similar to Jimmy Garoppolo. I think if Garoppolo is the twenty fifth best quarterback, I think Mullins is probably around like twenty six or. If, Garoppolo is 25. I think Mullins is probably 25 to 28, somewhere in there. Uh, they just need to get healthy. They're, they're just missing a lot. They're missing a lot defensively. This is a team that's going to win in spite of injuries. This is going to test Kyle Shanahan. And the season is basically over for the for the Niners because they're thinking we're a Super Bowl team. You're not winning a Super Bowl without Bosa. You're not winning a Super Bowl with this plethora of injuries. We don't know how long Sherman's going to be out. We don't know how long... Uh, Solomon Thomas is going to be out. So they have too much, too many injury problems to be a Super Bowl contender. But we can see a little bit more about what this team's made of with their backs against the wall. As far as the Giants, holy shit. I mean, blow it up, right? Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, I don't. Sometimes I think players. So when you get a quarterback, right? I don't think Daniel Jones was drafted with the idea that he was going to play as much as he did already. I think it was kind of like a, we'll get Jones, we'll let Eli play, Jones will come in later, and then Jones just played, right? So I think you had a guy who was way underprepared to play. Now here's the issue. At a certain point with quarterbacks, they either start to take steps forward, 
and they either t- start to take those steps where you can say, okay, maybe he's maybe he's ready for the NFL, or they just kind of sit there and you're like, okay, obviously this guy's not an NFL quarterback. Daniel Jones might just be that guy where he's not an NFL quarterback. He turns the ball over so much. He looks bad all the time. I think physically, like I think he can make the throw. I think physically he's good, but I think he's one of those players where the game might just be too fast for him. On the other hand, Daniel Jones played absolutely terrible. Yeah, I mean, he's awful. He's terrible. And it doesn't help that all these players are constantly hurt. It doesn't help that, you know, Sterling Shepard's hurt and Saquon Barkley's hurt and he never has all of his weapons, but you combine that with a brand new coach. You combine that with, you know, a coach who's basically the same age as Daniel Jones, a coach that is trying to figure out the NFL as well. This is not going to be a good year for New York. I mean, the Jets and the Giants both could be like one-win teams. And if you're the Giants, if you have the opportunity, I think you move from Daniel Jones. Like, if you have the opportunity to draft a Trevor Lawrence, if you have the opportunity to try again, I think you do. And this year, they're not good. They're obviously worse without Saquon Barkley. This could be one of those years where, whether it's his fault or not, but Daniel Jones could be out of the NFL because of this year. If he keeps putting up games like this, 17 for 32, 179 yards, five yards a completion. Ooh, that's gross. Five yards a completion. No touchdowns, one interception, sacked twice. That just ain't going to cut it. And he fumbled, fumbled once. So you're talking, I mean, it's not good in New York. That's what I'm going to tell you. They are, they are nothing. That's the nicest thing I say about them is that they are nothing. Bengals, Eagles. What a game. 23-23 tie. I don't know, man. Um, I mean, good Lord. Carson Wentz, 29 for 47 for 225 yards for a 4.8 average. One touchdown, two picks. <sighs> Philadelphia has a lot of problems. I mean, Philadelphia is like Atlanta, where I think it's time to move on from Peterson to get a new kind of foundation, get a new belief system, get a new identity. And then you have to wonder about Wentz. You know, Wentz at one point was an MVP candidate. He was playing at a really high level. Then he got hurt. Is Wentz, is Wentz one of those guys where he peaked, he got hurt, he is what he is, and now he's just kind of Car- he's just kind of Kirk, uh, Kirk Cousins? Maybe. I mean, a 4.8 average, I could do that. I could easily do that. You know, so I think the Eagles just, it's not good because they're such a proud franchise. And I think they're, you know, they have the Super Bowl, and but I think it's just time for Peterson to go. And it's hard to cut ties players and coaches that get you to that level. But are we already where you you get rid of Peterson and you start to wonder if Jalen Hurts needs to see more reps at quarterback? I don't think it hurts. I think it's also embarrassing that Peterson basically accepted this tie. I mean, Peterson punted the ball with like 14 seconds left to accept the tie. You're, he's coaching for his job. He's coaching for his job. Why do you not leave it all out, leave it all out there? I mean, punting to accept a tie when you probably are going to get fired? I don't know. As far as Cincinnati, we'll we'll watch the video tomorrow. We've been watching all of Joe Burrow's throws every week and analyzing them and breaking them down. So I won't wax too poetic on this, but Joe Burrow is 
the best rookie quarterback I've ever seen in my lifetime. He looks like he is a 10-year veteran. He looks like the game has slowed down for him. Like, think about the fact that Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, those players have a year in the NFL over Joe Burrow. And if you watch Daniel Jones, you watch Joe Burrow, it could not be more night and day. It could not be more. They, they look like they're playing two different speeds. Daniel Jones freaking out all over the place, fumbling, no, no, no what the hell's going on. Burrow making easy throws and then making hard throws look easy. Like, yeah, a lot of his passes are screens and dump passes or whatever, but a lot of the stuff he's running around all over the place. He's breaking tackles. He's avoiding the sack. He's keeping his eyes downfield. He's throwing on the run. He's throwing, getting hit. I mean, he is so good. Look, the Bengals are real. And it's, it's hard to say that because they're 0-2-1. But they are a relevant franchise. They're only going to get better. As long as Joe Burrow is there, this team will be relevant. Now, he they had the first overall pick for a reason. Okay, This is a terrible roster. A terrible offensive line. The Cincinnati Bengals probably have one of the worst defenses we've seen in the NFL in a long time. All right, Pass defense, non-existent. Rush defense, non-existent. I've been critical of their coaching. I think that that still holds true. I think you watch the games and you see a lot of coaching mistakes. But it's a young coaching staff. So if the coaches are who they are, and if the coaches are going to be there, then they have to develop too. Because right now, Joe Burrow is developing faster than the Cincinnati Bengals. And that's a dangerous thing. Where they may have a quarterback who's ready for the next step when the franchise isn't willing to evolve with him if that makes sense. The Cincinnati Bengals have to go, for for lack of a better term, they have to go all in. They have to say, okay, look, we have Joe Burrow. We have probably the best rookie quarterback we've ever seen. We have to go spend money. We have to give resources up to give him an offensive line, to give him what he needs. They have to do that. They are not going from first overall pick to two wins to four wins to six wins to eight wins to 10 wins to 12 wins. They're not on that track. They're on a first overall pick to three wins or four wins to nine wins. As soon as they give Burrow the resources, the Bengals will win the game. So now it is up to the GM. It is up to the owners. It is up to the coaches to step up and give Burrow what he needs to succeed. I think Joe Burrow, he he easily could be a top eight quarterback in the NFL next year. Easily. Which means the Bengals should be pretty close to a playoff team. If you have a top eight-ish quarterback in the NFL, you should be a playoff team. Will the Bengals be prepared to do that? I don't know. I don't know. They have to. So we'll see. That If you're a Bengals fan, like that's what you're watching. You're watching how the franchise progresses. You're watching what, what they do with the offensive line. If they don't address that, go and get in the time machine and go look at Jay Cutler's career with the Chicago Bears. Because that's what it's going to be. Where you've got a quarterback who is, at times, a really, really high-level quarterback but he's also getting sacked eight times a game. He's also getting hit nonstop. Go take a look at that. And that's, that's what the Bengals could do if they do not protect Joe Burrow. They could end up looking just like Chicago would. 
did with, with uh, Jay Cutler. And what Chicago do with Cutler? Well, they win eight, nine, ten games a year. That's a big difference for Cincinnati. But it could be way, way better. So hopefully Cincinnati figures it out. We're going to chat real quick. Our O-line is high school level. Over half of Burroughs and completions are on the O-line because either can't let the play develop long enough or it's being tackled. Yeah, I agree. I mean, every time I watch him, he's getting rushed out, pushed out, uh, you know, hit. I mean, it, it, it's tough for him, for sure. Lou Anarumu and Mike Turner, the defensive coordinator and O-line coach, have to leave. Zach Taylor is doing fine other than hiring and sticking up for these awful coaches. The rest of Zach's issues are due to inexperience. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he he's an inexperienced coach as well, so he has to progress at the same rate as um, Joe Burrow. Burrow has been playing great. I agree. He, I mean, he's – I've never seen a quarterback look like he does so quick. <clears throat> never. Texans-Steelers. We – the Texans – I feel bad for Deshaun Watson because the Texans are such a bad roster, and Watson is such a good quarterback. Um, so they're, they're just going to struggle. until the same deal with Cincinnati where – the Texans are not going to ever progress unless they give Deshaun Watson help. You know, unless they give him an offensive line, unless they get rid of Bill O'Brien. So the Texans are where they are, and they're going to be where they are until they fix their own issues. They're a sinking ship that needs to hold up. Steelers, we talked about them in the in the uh, power ranking. They're a team that is being slept on. They're a team that is figuring out who they are. And this is a big part of winning. Is figuring out how you win. It's a big part of of your identity. You know, in, in anything. You have to know how your team plays best to win. The Steelers figure that out. It's with the old-school Steeler mentality of get after the quarterback, defense, 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 be a hard-hitting team, run the football, and now they have Ben Roethlisberger healthy enough to be this game-manager kind of uh, you know veteran quarterback. I think the Steelers are a dangerous team. I, I think the Steelers, as long as they can stay healthy, I think you're looking at a team that could, could really make some noise. They're kind of like New England, where – they have the pieces, they have the coaches, they have the GM, they have the ownership, they have the franchise. They have a quarterback who, you know, in New England, the quarterback is much more important here, but they have this ship that's ready to be navigated, and they just got to do it. And Roethlisberger can do it. The rest of this team can do it. I think the Steelers are maybe the most underrated team in the NFL. Next up, Jets, Colts. Holy shit. I mean, everything I said, every single thing I said about the Giants can be said about the Jets, except that I think Darnold is way better than Daniel Jones. Sam Darnold being on the Jets is sad because Sammy D is talented, but my God, you can only be so talented. If Patrick Mahomes is on the Jets, I'm not sure if they make the playoffs. They probably win eight games, but I don't know if they make the playoffs, and that's saying something. This is a this franchise, it's so embarrassing. They have to move Gase. They have to get players. How is Frank Gore your starting running back? How is that where we are? Where Braxton Berrios, Kalen Bellage, Lawrence Kager, Frank Gore. Jesus. I mean, I can't even offer criticism for the Jets because they're not even worth it. They have to just go figure it out. They have to just go get rid of everyone, get players in there, completely change the culture, and then we can start talking about football. This could easily be an 0-16 team. Easily. The Jets, I mean, Sam Darnold, I think, is an okay quarterback. But he may be out of the league just because he might quit. 
He might he might say I'd rather go work construction than play for the Jets, and he may be out of the NFL. Really bad stuff. I mean, it, it's tough, man. It's tough. Like I, Sam Darnold is the kind of guy like in New Orleans. I would love if Sam Darnold was behind Drew Brees because I think Darnold has the tools. And I think he's good enough to learn and all that stuff. But the Jets are just ruining him, ruining him. As far as the Colts. I like the Colts as far as their organizational structure, their coaching, all that stuff. I think Phillip Rivers is good enough. Um, when you think about Phillip Rivers is averaging 10 yards of completion while Carson Wentz is averaging four, it really says something. Jonathan Taylor seems to be a pretty decent back, um, filling in for Marlon Mack here. Colts are good. Colts are a good, efficient team in the NFL. They're not a Super Bowl contender. They're not an AFC Championship game contender, but they're probably a playoff team that could make some noise. So, I think the Colts are fine. I think they're okay. They need to find Rivers' uh, replacement. You know, like, I mean, obviously, this is a team where Rivers is a stopgap. So we'll see what they do. It's going to be kind of hard, though, for the Colts because they're always going to be 500 or better, pretty much, like with this current coaching regime and the talent they have. So finding an heir apparent um, is not going to be as easy as it was when they had the first overall pick and took Peyton Manning or when they had the first overall pick and took Andrew Luck. Next up, Panthers, Chargers, Panthers, Chargers, Panthers, Chargers, uh, Panthers, big win here. Good win for them. These are two teams that are kind of doing the same thing. They're kind of rebuilding. Um, I think LA is probably, I think they're one of the worst coach team in the, teams in the NFL. And I think Carolina is figuring out how to be coach. Like Matt rules, figuring out his, his whole thing. Uh, they're, they're missing Christian McCaffrey. So, they're on kind of borrow time. They're on house money where anything they do is better than they should be doing, you know? So once rule figures out his place, once Christian McCaffrey gets back, once all that starts to click, the Panthers are going to be a good team in two to three years. The Panthers could be a consistent NFC championship contender, you know, in the, in the next five years, Bridgewater is not that guy, but once they figure out the, the quarterback, once rule gets developed, once, you know, Tepper kind of figures out being an NFL owner, McCaffrey, if he comes back healthy, I think this is a team that could make huge leaps and bounds in the next five years. So Carolina, everything they do right now, successful, is even more successful because they shouldn't be doing it. As far as the Chargers, um, it's, it's Justin Herbert time, and we're gonna they're going to go as far as he goes. I think the Chargers were okay with being 500 with Tyrod Taylor, and now they're in full development where – Kind of the same thing with the Panthers. You know, if they win six games with Herbert, they're so happy with that because it's only going to get better. I think Herbert's looked good. Um, in college, I thought he was... I think he's one of the rare players who it seems like the NFL is fitting his game a little bit better. So Herbert... I've always compared him to Josh Allen. I think he can be there. I think Herbert can take big steps. If you're a Chargers fan or if you're watching the Chargers, you're just watching for the development of Justin Herbert. If he can develop... And it looks like he's playing pretty well. So if he can develop at all, and you have a franchise quarterback, and you get rid of some of the coaching, the Chargers could be fine. But uh, th- you know, this this is a these are two teams that are trying to build their franchises back up. You know, and Herbert, if you're the Panthers, you're ecstatic that you're winning games without Christian McCaffrey. And if you're the Chargers, you're okay with dropping a game because Justin Herbert's playing pretty well. Next game. Next game is the Buccaneers-Broncos. 
Uh, it's it's really hard for me to give a grade on this game because Jeff Driscoll was involved and Brett Ripien. All I'll say with the Buccaneers is the Buccaneers are these are the games that they that they need right like they need Tom Brady to have these efficient games three touchdowns no interceptions twenty five uh, of thirty eight for two ninety seven fine now what they also need to do is they need to figure out how to get Mike Evans more involved. Two of the three games, Mike Evans has been totally irrelevant, and Leonard Fournette has to get his feet underneath him. Leonard Fournette's been there for two weeks. So if they can develop a good running game with Leonard Fournette and get some of those playmakers involved that Brady has, the Buccaneers could be good. I don't think the Buccaneers are a playoff team personally. I don't think the Buccaneers are anywhere near a NFC Championship team or a Super Bowl team. I think they're they're probably like right at that 9-win, 10-win area. I think they'll fall short of the Saints. They may sneak in a wild card since there's three wild card spots now, but this is one of those things where they're not rebuilding, but they're also not all in. You know, why is Fortnite going to chat here? Why is Fortnite being limited, do you think? I still think he's way undervalued uh, because he hadn't been there. He's been there for two weeks. So he, he, he signed with the Bucks. I think, four days before the season started. And so you're talking about he's been there for three weeks, three and a half weeks. And this is something that people forget about. People forget about the human element of the game. So let's say you live in Jacksonville and you get traded or whatever, or waived or signed and all that stuff. Let's say you're doing that. Okay. If you're doing that, then all of a sudden you get sent to Tampa. So now you have to move. You have to move. You have to find a place to live. You have to get all your stuff situated there all at the same time going to a completely new job with new coworkers, with a new system, a new playbook, new coaching, get all that figured out on top of playing the actual game on top of because of COVID, there's no preseason, there's no training camp. So you're probably out of shape anyways. So this is like a perfect storm for Leonard Fournette where he's only getting seven carries because he's probably out of shape. He's probably just trying to figure out, you know, his bearings as being in Tampa and he's trying to figure out this team. I think the Buccaneers are closer to being ready around week six, week six or seven. So if they're, you know, four and two, if they're something like that, I think that's really good for them. I expect them to be closer to 500 as far as like three and three, somewhere in there, maybe even a game under 500. So they're almost on borrowed time as well, where however good they do in the first half, it's only going to get better from there. But they have to get Mike Evans involved. They have to get these playmakers involved because Tom Brady ain't the playmaker, right? Leonard Fournette's not the playmaker. He might be a decent back. Tom Brady might be a good game manager, but they're not going to go out there and win them games, win them Super Bowls, win them conference championships. So Tampa's got a lot to do. They got a lot to do over there. Great defense, and I'll say that. That's something that they have that is undeniable. They have an unbelievable defensive line, unbelievable defense, so... The Buccaneers could be what the Saints were two years ago, where they have a functional offense that at times can score 30, 35, 40 points, but they have a star-ridden defense that forces turnovers, give Tom Brady short fields, stuff like that. And if they can do that, if they can replicate that, then Tampa Bay could really take a jump forward. They're going to have to rely on their defense, no doubt about that. Denver, um, I'm not spending time talking about a team with Jeff Driscoll as a starting quarterback. 
Lions Cardinals. Uh, interesting game here. It's a it's a regression to the mean for both teams. The Lions were better than zero and two. We knew that. More talented than that. Better players than that. And the Cardinals are not a sixteen and zero team. The Cardinals are a good team. But the Cardinals aren't a great team. And when you're not a great team, stuff like this happens. These are two teams that are closer together than people probably thought. I think the Lions and Cardinals are a little bit, you know, a little bit right there, whereas people might have looked at like 0-2 and 2-0 and and been like, this is a really good team versus a really bad team. I don't think that's the case. So the Cardinals may have been sleeping a bit on the Lions. The Cardinals may have been overlooking them a bit. And it's a young team. I mean, you're talking about Kyler Murray still figuring his stuff out. Uh, He had a really bad game here. Kenyon Drake's young. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury's young. So the Cardinals, super positive outlook for them. They're still developing all over the shop. These are the games that you do drop, especially when your quarterback has three interceptions. You know, If you want to take a look at this game and say, man, why, why did the Cardinals drop this game? And you see that Matthew Stafford has zero interceptions, and you see that Kyler Murray had three. That's really all you needed to see there. Uh, Detroit was kind of a kind of a team where people thought they could take a step up this year. I don't think they will with Matt Patricia. I think Matt Patricia is not an NFL head coach. I think he's a coordinator. So the Lions, they may be wasting time. And when you look at Matt Patricia as their coach, Matt Stafford's their quarterback, and Adrian Peterson's their running back, that sounds like a team that wants to rebuild really bad. So not very good on the Lions. Like Not, not very invested in the Lions at all. And uh, Arizona is just up and up. They're just going to get better. If, if Murray takes a step forward, if Kingsbury takes a step forward, then the Cardinals are going to be really good. Going to chat here. Drake just isn't the answer, in my opinion. They have so many weapons at wide receiver, but lacking wide receivers. I think he's fine. I think Drake's fine. Drake and Edmonds are good. Yeah, I think they're I think they're fine. <clears throat> I mean, Kenyon Drake here, 18 carries, 73 yards, 4.1 average. Kyler Murray, it's going to be on Murray. I mean, Murray... He'll figure it out. You know, you can't have three interceptions and win a lot of games in the NFL. So all they need Drake to be is a guy who they need to think about. Just like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in Kansas City. They just need a guy who, when called upon, he can figure it out. And averaging four yards a carry, that's good enough, you know. So the thing that the thing that I want to see from Arizona is if they can expand the field. Like I think that uh, Kyler Murray, for having as big of an arm as he does, I think he relies on a lot of screens and checkdowns. Last year, I think he averaged six yards a carry or six yards of a pass, six point seven something like that. And this game, he has seven seven. So he needs to kind of extend. And once they do that, I think this offense will become much more explosive. Right now, it's kind of a fast paced, um, you know, check down, short passes, all that stuff, and that's fine. But in order for them to take the next step as a dynamic offense. They're going to have to expand a little bit down the field, start throwing past the markers, stuff like that. But good team. I mean, Arizona, Arizona's really good. They're really good. They're not as good as people think they are. You know, they started off so hot, beat the Niners, all that stuff. But I think they're well on their way to being good. Uh, The things I've heard from Cliff Kingsbury are like the opposite of Matt Patricia. I've heard Kingsbury is making dramatic systematic changes like during the game or week by week. And that's a big step for a head coach to be able to adapt, evolve, call, call games, you know, plan. So I I have a lot of faith in the Cardinals moving forward. Cowboys 
Seahawks. I mean, what I just say the game before. Why did the Cowboys lose this game? Dak Prescott, three touchdowns, two picks. Russell Wilson, five touchdowns, no picks. That's pretty much it. The Cowboys are a really, really good one and two team. They are they are so much better than they look to be. Ezekiel Elliott, 14 carries for 34 yards, not good at all. Uh, Dallas is still making Dallas mistakes. We saw a kick return get messed up, and they started on the one, led to a safety. Um, you know, so they're still the Dallas team that we think they are, where they haven't figured out how to win yet. And I don't think it's Dak. I think Dak is really good. I, I really think it's more of the I, – I just think McCarthy is not the guy. I think McCarthy is pretty similar to – Pretty similar to um, John Gruden, where he's just not evolving. He's just not evolving. He's not the coach to coach this team. Like if Cliff Kingsbury had the Cowboys, this would be a really dangerous team. I like how they're trying to get CD Lamb involved. I like how CD Lamb is basically like a little Tyreek Hill, where he he's always moving. He's always like trying to beat people off the line. He get, he's in different uh, formations. So I like I like what they're doing there. Dallas just. I mean, it's hard to keep saying the same thing for Dallas every year, but they might just be one of those teams that puts up a lot of points, scores a lot, but just doesn't win. Just like the Thunder for a while there, or the Rockets, where you just can't figure out why they can't take that step. And it's maybe just the core of you know the coaching and all that stuff. But uh, Dallas is exciting. Dallas is good. Dallas can beat any team in the NFL, or they can lose. I mean, they, they just aren't there. I don't know. I, I back Dallas a lot. I, I tend to always think like Dallas is underrated because people overreact to Dallas because of the Cowboys. But I, I mean, I watch a lot of Cowboys games and every time I watch them, I'm like, man, Dak is really good. I mean, Dak, Dak could, you could argue that Dak is like a top five, top eight quarterback in the NFL. And when you have a top five, top eight quarterback in the NFL and you marry him with Ezekiel Elliott and, Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. And all, all of a sudden it's like, well, this team should be winning. You know, this team should be winning games. And Dallas should be. Dallas should be going to the playoffs. Dallas should be winning the NFC East every year. I mean, you look at the NFC East. The NFC East is ter- terrible. Absolutely terrible. Why is Dallas not winning 12 games a year and going to NFC Championship games, you know? So I think it's a cultural thing there. As far as the Seahawks, this is the year. This is the year where if they're going to win it, they're going to win it here. Russell Wilson is right now on the same level as Patrick Mahomes, where he can make every throw. You're in every game. He is going to do everything he can to win these games. He is playing out of his mind. Now, the only issue is, can he keep that up? Can Russell Wilson do that for a whole season? I mean, if he does that for a whole season, he's going to have like 80 passing touchdowns. So what happens if Russell Wilson regresses a little bit? Just a little bit. What happens then? You know, Seattle has to find a balance between being a really, really good team that has Russell Wilson or a team that has to have Russell Wilson throw five touchdowns, no interceptions. You know, so I think Seattle is the second best team in the NFL. I think they're the best team in the NFC. I think right now they're playing as good as anybody. and But I just worry that Russell is maxed out his production. 
and we're going to see him fall back. We're going to see them fall back a little bit. The defense is a question. I think the defense is good. I think the defense has the ability to be good, but they're not good right now. Like they need to play better defense if they want a chance. They can't just say, "All right, well, we're just going to outscore everybody." Ain't going to work. We need more from Jamal Adams. They need they need to just have a little bit of backbone in the defensive side, and then I think Seattle can take that step to where they truly are a Super Bowl threat. The NFC is kind of weird how it's set up as far as like the good teams and all that. So Seattle doesn't have a necessarily hard track to the conference championship. Uh, they would be my pick, certainly, to represent the NFC. I mean, Russell Wilson, he, he's probably the odds-on favorite right now to win the MVP because of just how he's played. And it's always dangerous, you know, to be like, oh, well, that'll just continue. So I have my hesitations, but, man, he's been good. He's been so damn good. And, I mean, they're receiving core, like Metcalf, Lockett. I mean, Chris Carson got hurt this week, but he's supposed to be back. So they, they have weapons, man. They have the weapons. Their defense just has to hold on. Just hold on. And then the Chiefs-Ravens. This game, I mean, look. This was this was the... I mean, this is Patrick Mahomes on God mode. This is Patrick Mahomes playing as good as any quarterback will play. The Chiefs are almost like a cheat code team. I mean, they're, like, they're like back in the day in Madden where... You know, you had like those all NFL teams that were 99 rated across the board. That's how this team is. I mean, who are you going to guard? You're going to guard Travis Kelsey? Okay, we'll I have Tyreek Hill. You going to guard him? Okay, we have Sammy Watkins, Mikael Hardeman, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Patrick Mahomes is leading the charge. Like, he just doesn't make mistakes. He runs around. Andy Reid has full control as far as like understanding what plays to call and who whose number to call at what times. He, he is fully there. With this team. The Chiefs, I don't know if you can beat them. I'm not saying they're going to go 16-0, but if they went 16-0, it would not surprise me. They looked so much better than Baltimore. And this is a game, and this is a team, where the Chiefs the Chiefs' defense should not be this good. You know, and for them to contain Lamar Jackson, I mean, Lamar Jackson had 15 carries, I mean, 15 attempts, excuse me, 15 completions for 20, uh, out of 28 attempts, for 97 yards. That is a 3.5 average. 3.5. Sacked four times. Ran nine times for 83 yards. Good good on the ground. Good on the ground. But the fact that they did that to him, that is crazy. I mean, the Chiefs, if you give the Chiefs an above average defense with that offense, how the hell are you going to beat them? If you're a team like Seattle... If you're a team like Dallas, if you're a team like Green Bay, the Chiefs are probably going to hang like 50 points on you because the Ravens' defense is really good. The Ravens' defense is probably one of the top three defenses in the league. And if you're Seattle, who doesn't have a good defense, if you're Dallas, who has a bad defense, what's your plan? You're just going to you're just going to try and get in a 60 point shootout. It's also interesting because in Kansas City, you can't kick field goals. If you kick a field goal, you're pretty much you pretty much lose. You have to score. And that's such a different way of playing. I think the NFL, I would not be surprised at all if the NFL started to change a little bit where teams just stop kicking field goals when they play these teams like the Chiefs. If you're the Titans and you kick a field goal against Kansas City, the game is almost over. 
because you have to score at such a frenetic pace. And that's what happened with Baltimore. They kicked that field goal. Kansas City just kept scoring. And then when Baltimore, if they ever had to punt, it's over. If you're playing Kansas City and you kick a field goal and they score and it's 7-3 to three, and then you go and punt, it's over. Because now they're probably going to go up 14-3 to three, or they're going to go kick a field goal and go up 10-3 and then you're just trading points. You can't stop Kansas City enough to where you can ever extend the game. And that's what happened here. It was 27-20. to 20, And Baltimore just had to stop KC to have a chance to go into overtime. Or to tie it up or even win. And they just could not stop Kansas City. They never could get enough stops to catch back up. And that happens. And this is Baltimore. So now imagine you're Tennessee. Now imagine you're, you know, whoever... Green Bay, or you, you don't have like, you know, you're not you're not Baltimore. Like Baltimore has an offense where they're dynamic; they can score. If you're Tennessee, it's like, okay, well, we can't run Derrick Henry. We can't run Derrick Henry 35 times. We're down, we're down 17. We're down 14. How the hell are we going to catch up? And then if you have a quarterback who makes a mistake, I mean, Lamar didn't even throw an interception. What happens if then you start having turnovers? I mean, this game right here, like it. I mean, you take away a kickoff return, uh, a fumble from the Chiefs. You take away all that, the Ravens barely score. The Ravens score like a touchdown, you know? So, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if the Chiefs are beatable. I think you're looking at, this is what you're looking at for a long time. Because Patrick Mahomes is still getting better. So, you're looking at this kind of stuff with the Chiefs just dominating teams. For a long time. The only chance people are going to have the Chiefs is if Andy Reid retires, if Mahomes gets hurt, if Kelsey retires, or like players just start leaving. But from where I'm sitting, this looks like we're in a, we're in a Patriots-esque decade of dominance where the Chiefs will probably be penciled in in the AFC Championship game every single year. And they probably deserve it. I mean, they're that good. Patrick Mahomes is a generational quarterback I love me some Tom Brady, but I'm not I'm not too far away from saying that Patrick Mahomes is already like a top three quarterback of all time. And when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, I mean this guy he could he could go on a run of like four MVPs in a row, five MVPs in a row, three Super Bowls in a row, just like these crazy runs. Because I'm telling y'all, he's not even at his apex. He's not even at his final form. And that is terrifying to think about. But that is going to be the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening. Two hours of the best in the world. Two hours of the superstar. Listening to the football show. This was a little bit later than usual. We usually do it earlier. So this will be out on podcast and all that stuff tonight. And then we'll go from there. We're still doing the show on Friday, so all good. I just had some... RL stuff going on. That's real life, if you don't know. But thank you for listening to the NFL podcast. Are you listening? Damn. Uh.